Hello, and welcome to the William Branham Historical Research Podcast. I'm John Collins, the author and founder of William Branham Historical Research, and with me I have my co-host, researcher, minister, and friend, Charles Paisley. Together, we're examining the critical history and the intersections in history between William Branham and other key figures that either influenced or were influenced by the post-World War II healing revivals. We also examine the fruits of these revivals, discussing everything from the latter reign and word of faith and new apostolic reformation movements to some of the more sinister sects that emerged as a result of this dark chapter in history in American Christianity. Today's episode is very exciting. We're resetting the podcast for the new format. And as many of you know, my research has been primarily focused upon William Branham and his message cult personality. But that research has raised more questions than it did answers. Charles, who has done extensive research into this movement, brings many of these answers to the table through inside knowledge of one of William Branham's closest associates. Hang on to your seats because the first episode of season two is going to be a wild ride. Charles, this is the moment that everyone has been waiting for. Are you excited? Uh, yes, John, I am very excited. You know, I've been looking forward to diving into these topics with you, and the amount of information on this stuff is just huge, and it's going to be great for us to share uh, the most up-to-date information and to even get into some things that maybe it's not been covered before. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to that and uh, providing something to our listeners in an easy-to-access format. And you're right, buckle up. We're sure going to be deep diving into a lot of topics, and we're going to cover a lot of ground and, and reveal a lot of things, John. I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. I'm, I'm excited. This is the, the things that we have been discussing behind the scenes in private that people need to know. It, it's just astounding. And some of the things... I have not yet been able to say because they were things that my family mostly knew and talked about behind closed doors, but there are things that I could not just simply verify with, you know, documentation or anything that's research related that I could quote into a reference note. But with what you bring to the table, now we have the combination of the mouth of two or three witnesses. And there are things that I can now say that I, literally my hands have been tied before this point. So yeah. I'm Exactly, I'm very exactly, excited. John. There, there's lots of stories and lots of things that we know having lived here, been in it, went through it. The people that we've known, especially here in the Jeffersonville area, um, you know, you and I, our families go way back to the early days of this group, and uh, we, we know a lot of things and can definitely cooperate a lot of stories. So Right. If if I compare this to the Old Testament, you're like the scribes that kept track of a lot of the information <laughs> that people just, people assume that this history has been long forgotten, but I've in our conversations, the notes that you're taking is just unbelievable what you have. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's really amazing, John. Uh, uh, you know, I, I don't know... Uh, I guess I can go into a little bit of my background. Uh, so, you know, when I when I came out from the uh, from the group I was in, uh, which maybe we'll talk a little bit more about, but I uh, spent the first several years uh, after finding uh, some of the things that you had published, uh, really looking to try and disprove it all. And so, uh, one of the things I had access to was many eyewitnesses of William Branham, 
Uh, in our church, we had we had people who knew William Branham all the way back to the, the 1930s, you know, before he was married, before really before he even had children. Uh, and so we had a tremendous uh, depth of witness uh, of William Branham in, in really back to his formative early years. And I went through and I did uh, uh, talks with different ones, uh, interviews, you could say, informal interviews, and uh, did a whole lot of research uh, into the people who were there and people who knew what was going on and combine that with, you know, the things I'd heard throughout the years. So, uh, yeah, I look forward to being able to share some of that. I remember when I was writing the book, Preacher Behind the White Hoods, I desperately wished that I had what you had at that point in time because I knew after what uh, the things that I found, I knew that they were just so incredibly wrong that somebody had to know many of these things. And I understand that, you know, from the perspective of a person who is being conned and believes the con, their perspective is obviously going to be skewed in favor of, you know, William Branham and his cult of personality. But at the same time, they hold key critical facts that when you, they're puzzle pieces. When you take these puzzle pieces and marry them with these puzzle pieces, you see the bigger picture. And I, I really wanted to have some of those those uh, interviews. And now that I've learned that you have them, oh my gosh, people are just going to be so excited. Yeah, you're, you're, you're spot on, John. You're spot on. Because a lot of the people do do know the history, do know the truth. Uh, behind the scenes, they'll talk to you about it privately, uh, especially when you're still in the message, you know, they'll because yeah. they want to make excuses. They want to try and, you know, resolve the uh, resolve and uh, reconcile what they believe uh, to the facts that they know. Uh, and so oftentimes they're, they're willing to talk uh, to you, especially uh, when you were like me, we're in a position of uh, responsibility and uh, authority with, within the group. So, yeah. Right. Right. So this is going to be a complete reset of the podcast. Anybody who has looked at the podcast before, <clears throat> my website actually started as a kind of like you. I wanted to prove William Branham was true. I never really intended to do any of this. <clears throat> my website literally started because... Um, I had been, I had gone through some severe, um, life experiences that were very troubling. I mean, <clears throat> for me, it was very, it was very difficult times. And I remember being shaken somewhat during those times. And there were a few questions I had, nothing really major. I still believe William Branham was a prophet. Um, I did have a question about one of the prophecies that I had at that point just didn't really understand because, what he said was one thing and what happened was a completely different thing. So I, I wanted to ask my grandfather. So I pushed, um, so I, I've, I run web servers. I run a, a technology business. And so I pushed some notes, uh, that I could just pull up on my phone, you know, and ask my grandfather who was the, you know, he was the pastor of the Branham Tabernacle. And this was before office 365 or all these fancy tools you have now. This, was old school and I was, you know, we were struggling for money. So I just threw it up on a web server. I could pull it up on my phone. And before I got the chance to ask my grandfather, somehow the cult headquarters found this website and they thought that I was going rogue. And 
before I could even talk to my grandfather, this whole thing spread around the globe that John Collins is going rogue. And, um, you know, it never, it was never intended to be what it was. But when that happened, I knew that something was just so vastly wrong. The, The way that the cult responded was not with answers, but with let's cover this up. Let's, let's conceal what's happening with John. And I have an uncle, bless his heart, (laughs) who spread around the whole globe that John Collins was homosexual. And I've never had a leaning in my life. Like, in fact, I, I have the opposite struggles. I, I, you know, I'm a male and I'm very much a male and people who know me kind of laughed at it, but the people who didn't know me, they believed my uncle. And to this day, I still have, I had a pastor in, um, the Congo contact me and he says, John, I just want to let you know that I've led two of our churches out of the message. And I want to thank you for all the research that you've done, but I just have to say it was a real stumbling block learning that you were homosexual. And I was like, but I'm not, (laughs) you know, and, um, they tried to conceal that information. So that website turned into a website called seekyethetruth.com. And the blog, I purposefully have left every blog post that has been in existence. You can go on my website, william-branham.org, and you can see the very beginning. They're almost not even readable. They're like notes. But I left them up there so everybody can see the history of this. And... um. Over time, it transitioned to, first I questioned he was a prophet, but I thought he was a good man. Then I questioned he was, um, you know, the messenger for the age or whatever. There's a, there's a progression that you can see in the blog post of what happened over time and the transition to suddenly realizing, no, this man was a scam artist. He was a very good scam artist, but he had men who helped him create what's called the long con. You know, this was a con that lasted several decades and he was good at it. And there were several men in on it. Once I realized that I, you know, transitioned to what it is now, William Branham historical research. But in resetting the podcast, I've taken all of the episodes except for last season and I've archived them into a podcast file or format called seek the truth and that's out there you can get to it on the website and um i'm resetting with season two and now season one basically is just the sum of the critical research the overview if you will and i think there may be one interview in there and then we're resetting it because you have many of the answers to season one so it kind of just simply goes together and um I also have um, doing work with Naomi Wright in the Free and Clear uh, podcast. That's still up there, and you can get to it at freeandclearshow.com or on the website. That's a great podcast, John. That's helped a lot of people. (laughs) Thank you. But that's out there. And, uh, Charles, why don't you tell us about your website? Um, I plan to, not just in the notes and description on this podcast, but... When we do the interviews and the trailers, I'm going to have your website and my website since this is a joint venture between us. Sure. So uh, the the church I'm with today, we have a website called christiangospelchurch.org. 
uh, and uh, people can go there and, and find out certainly some more information about some of the things we'll talk about on this podcast and also just the ministry uh, that that we operate. Um, we, we run a small church here. We're about uh, uh, three miles away from the Branham Tabernacle. Wow. Uh, and uh, 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 things are going well. Uh, we're, we're helping some different people, and we're very thankful for the opportunity to do that and, and to partner with you on this podcast, John. Awesome. And I, I'd like to take a brief second to talk about the church itself because I'll be open and honest. This is something that I talk about in my support groups and the other support groups that I work with. There's a real struggle because when ministers leave the message, they a lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of them, that's all they have ever known is the message. That's all they've ever preached, taught. That's all they live, breathe, ate, and slept, you know, for all these decades. And they left, and then there's this tendency of, in my opinion, it's just simply pride, but I'm sure it's more complicated than that for these men, but they want to hold on to many of the things that they've taught for years because if they don't, then they've taught some things that aren't true for years. And so what happens is when ministers leave, they basically... It's like going to a message called church without a prophet. You know what I mean? Yes, yeah. <clears throat> and what you've described as, I think the words that you use were halfway house church, which I love this concept. If, if you could tell us a little bit about the structure. Yeah, so uh, we, we're a church that we're going to focus on the gospel. Uh, we really want to be a place that's especially healthy uh, for people who are uh, in the process of leaving the message or uh, looking for a halfway step out. Um, we are um, not going to be repeating uh, the mistakes of the past. Uh, the Apostle Paul said, If I build again that which I destroy, I am become a transgressor. <laughs> and uh, that's certainly a, a little bit of, of my motto uh, as, I, as I look at the way forward. Uh, we've got some other great uh, ministers that are working with us who have uh, also exited the message. There's actually quite a large network at this point, John, uh, that have left. Uh, and uh, uh, the ones that are working with me here in this area are, are just tremendous, uh, and I believe it's something that would be a great help uh, to people yeah. who are looking for some community or some fellowship or in need as they're as they're exiting the message and just wanting to get back into healthy Christianity. Uh, maybe not even to stay forever, but just as a place to uh, to, to unwind, uh, to feel better uh, before maybe they move along in their journey with Christ. That's awesome. And one of the things that we've talked about in our discussion, I want to make clear. So when people leave the cult, they have been bruised by the religion. You know, it. this was pseudo-Christianity, if you could even, I, I, I even hesitate to use the term Christianity in pseudo-Christianity with this cult. It in no way resembled Christianity, in my opinion. But there's a lot of people that have been so bruised that they're just done with it. They don't want religion. They don't want Christianity. Are people who have been bruised but want to um, explore the notion that Christianity might be different if they weren't in a cult, are these people also welcome in your church? Yeah, of course they are. And, you know, uh, the way you describe it is, I, I think, is a, is a good description. You know, the, the message has so many different flavors and sects, John. You and I know that. I mean, we were in yeah. different sects, right? We, <laughs> we wouldn't even have spoke to each other, you know, if probably if we passed each other on the street in Jeffersonville. Uh, but, uh, 
It's the Baskin <laughs> Robbins of cult churches. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's so many flavors, and and some of us, uh, some groups were maybe closer to uh, normal Christianity. Some were closer to, uh, you know, Jim Jones Crazy Land. Uh, so and and you've kind of so you've got a a, a, a you know, let's say a rainbow a, a, a range of options in there and some some especially in the middle and towards the uh, extreme and John are absolutely right I mean yeah. it, it hardly resembles Christianity uh, and people like that and especially even really any any group you leave it really seems like the way out is a trim is just it's got to be a traumatic experience for yeah. a lot of people as yeah. just disappearing out the back door is not an option for most people. Uh, right. Most people, John, you know, the exit is a whole lot like you describe. Uh, it actually, uh, when I, when, what happened to me is a very similar story. I still believed the message. I still believed William Branham. I was conducting interviews, like I mentioned to you, uh, doing extensive research. And at a certain point, I, I guess I crossed a line with somebody. Uh, and uh, they outed me as not believing the message, which which was not even true at the time. Yeah. Uh, and uh, very quickly, you know, you find I uh, get calls from foreign countries. Uh, Charles, I heard you said this about the prophet, <laughs> and I'm like, what in the world? What in the world? You know, is, is and and you're very right, John. Just the way that that they react. Uh, yeah. Boy, uh, it, it really that was a huge eye opener to me. Just the way yeah. that that the, the the reaction went once once some of that stuff came out, um, and, and it ends up very very traumatic for people who leave because of yeah. the, the the serious abuse they often suffer on the way out, and and we uh, and everyone in uh, leadership positions at the church uh, where I'm at now have experienced these exact same things. Many of them have been through counseling and so forth for those things, and. Um, it, it's something I believe we can help people when they experience. If they, if they come, we know where you're coming from. We know what you went through. We can relate, and you're going to find uh, uh, love, compassion, comfort, uh, yeah. and confirmation and affirmation. So, That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I, I will never forget <clears throat> when my grandfather learned of this note-taping <laughs> note taping, taking uh, website that I created, literally just some, some random notes, he called me up and he said, John, um, people have known these things for years. What does it hurt for you to believe it anyway? I'm going to come down very hard against you and your family. And it shocked me. I mean, this was my grandfather. This is, everybody thinks of him as this humble, gentle soul. And the man that called me was not a humble, gentle soul. But I remember that humble, gentle soul. From before this, it was a complete and instant change. And what was very odd about this was my wife and children, at that point, <clears throat> my wife had honestly seen some of the questions. And I think at that point she was exploring the notion or had also came to you know some of the same conclusions. But he had no idea. He um, shunned her and my children, cut them off because I posed the question these questions that people would suddenly be asking and literally just to silence the questions he was willing to cut off her soul from Christianity and they you know how it goes in the cult whenever they cut somebody off they turn your what is it they turn your soul over to Satan for the destruction of your flesh and my wife was like wait what I, I didn't say anything <laughs> 
Yeah, oh, I, I, I know just what you mean. You know, uh, when, when, when we were... The, the, the saying there that your grandfather said, uh, people have known this for years. What does it hurt you to believe anyway, right? Like, yeah. it actually confesses that they know what we're saying is the truth, right? Yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and the exact same thing, you know, I discovered is that everyone in leadership positions that I spoke to knew what I was talking about, knew, knew these things even before I asked the questions, had the answers, and they knew, John. They knew, absolutely. Yeah. And... What's so ironic is that, you know, those very people who turn around and condemn you are the ones who confirmed you that you were right, right? And and then, yeah. then they're angry at you, right, <laughs> for believing them. <laughs> right, right. It's, it's, a, it's amazing, John, isn't it, right? Uh, so, so, yes, uh, uh, I, I, I experienced very uh, similar type experiences. I, I received confirmations from, from the, you know, the highest leaders in our, our sect of the message, the, the validity and the truth of, of certain things and but then when when the day came uh it was all me it was yeah. all me and uh yeah. i found my way out and, and it's the same just like you mentioned not only did my wife and my children get thrown out for not you know for nothing um mm. my parents did too i mean uh and you know anybody anybody who would have even uh you know uh, offered to uh continue to be my friend would have been uh, yeah. mercilessly crushed right i mean that's that's yeah. just sadly how it is and uh so i we very much understand the pain that people suffer uh leaving the group yeah there's also this weird complexity right because <clears throat> i've learned over time william branham had different stage personas and they were vastly different stage personas to the extent one version of william branham says anyone who accepts the trinity it has accepted the mark of the beast. It, and he paraphrases it, you know, over right. s- several sentences. But <clears throat> he says essentially that if you, he says the Trinitar- the persons of the Trinity is a Catholic doctrine that came from Satan, basically. And he says if anybody who accepts this has accepted the mark of the beast or, you know, is in Satan's kingdom, but there are other versions of his stage persona that say, praise you, Jesus, praise the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, we who have accepted you. <clears throat> and when I found these things, you know, what do you do with that? It's like if you take, if you take a coin that's got heads and tails mm-hmm. and you preach to the ground that, no, this is heads. Any way that I look at this coin, it's heads. And you leave it laying on the table and everybody's, praise God, I see heads too. Well, then you get this other sect or this other division in the cult. Mm-hmm. Well, they've got the coin flipped the other way. Yeah. No, he said tails. Yeah. <clears throat> and they just go on and on. Every. Yes. I don't know how those people can see heads because when I look at this table and I see this coin, I see tails. And then they start fighting with each other. I've been in, <clears throat> I've been in cult churches from, I was raised from Arizona to South Carolina and everywhere in between. And I remember as a kid growing up, I'd hear this particular pastor go on these rants that was his big thing. And these other pastors who went in rants against what this guy was saying Mm -hmm. to the extent that in the same city, many times there are cult churches that won't fellowship with each other at all. Right. And what's really interesting, what you bring to the table 
is that right here in Mecca, in William Branham's home area, are yeah. two churches, two of which are foundational churches for this yes. cult. Each with hundreds, not, hundreds of members. <clears throat> yeah. Big, big sects of the church, S-E-C-T-S of the church, right? Yeah. And they wouldn't fellowship. Like, I didn't know any of you people. I, yeah. I did not know you until like two years ago. Right, right. Same, same thing, John. I mean, we, we, we knew about you. So maybe let me give a little background of, of where I'm from um, and, and the church that I was in. So uh, my, my family has been in the message since uh, the 50s. Uh, my father's family is from Canada. They came into the message actually in the 60s. Uh, my mother's family, though, uh, came into the message in the 50s. They attended the Branham Tabernacle while William Branham was still living, um, was acquainted with him, uh, the different people there. Uh, they continued going there until after Brother Branham's death in 1967, at which point my family transitioned over to the church I grew up in and spent uh, my life in, Faith Assembly Church. Hmm. Um, Brother Branham called Faith Assembly the sister church to the tabernacle. Yeah. Uh, he said it was the, uh, the church that was the closest to living out his teachings that he knew of in the whole world. Um, he, he, he heaped praise on Faith Assembly. He came to Faith Assembly and preached uh, multiple times over the years. Uh, Faith Assembly was in New Albany uh, mm-hmm. for most of the time that he was alive. Um, and it was uh, moved to Clarksville in later years and then to its present location at the edge of Jeffersonville uh, in 1967. And uh, the pastor, the founder of the church was Raymond Jackson. The message people know him as Junior Jackson. Yep. And he is a, a, a very prominent figure uh, in the message as a whole, and certainly within our sect, he was, he was the leader. Raymond Jackson uh, preached and spoke at William Branham's funeral. Uh, he uh, was a, a frequent companion of William Branham, frequently mentioned by Brother Branham on tape. Uh, the two men had a, had a very close relationship, uh, and a lot, of, uh, a lot of information was shared there. Um, you know, uh, Faith Assembly is, to the best of my knowledge, the second oldest continuously operating message church in the world. Wow. Uh, and 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 for your for your uh, listeners and for our listeners' sake, I was the assistant pastor of that church. Wow. Uh, yes, and uh, I was uh, the. I, I guess if you want to put it in that way, I was you know a, 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 a prominent minister in that sect of the message. Uh, our church had a global outreach. You know, at at the heyday, uh, Faith Assembly had uh, dozens of churches around the world that fellowship. Certainly, thousands of people uh, that were subscribers to our uh, publications. I was the editor of that publication, which is one of the premier publications in the message. Yeah. I think uh, <laughs> certainly. So I, I was the editor of that, and uh, obviously, I was a minister. I mean, what behind what you see behind me is a lot of this is. A collection of message materials, John. Yeah, um, and so so for, so for the listeners who don't yeah. understand the depth of this, <clears throat> the message has all of these different splinter groups. That, like like any cult, whenever something is so incredibly wrong and different, it splinters into all of these different divisions and factions. <clears throat> and the main, the central faction of the message, the cult headquarters is in Jeffersonville. The central figure of the main sect is Joseph Branham, William Branham's son. And the number two in charge is Billy Paul Branham, William Branham's other son. So Charles, who's in a competing sect, is the Billy Paul Branham of that sect. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) 
<laughs> There's an award. <laughs> There's an award, man. <laughs> oh, that's funny, I, John. I never will forget <clears throat> whenever I first met Raymond Jackson. All my life growing up, I was just in awe at this name, Junior Jackson. I heard it all my life. I listened to tapes religiously. I listened to the recordings of William Branham in my bed at night. <clears throat> I had a Walkman, and I would go through school in between classes, uh, and at lunch I was playing William Branham. When I was old enough to get a car at age 16, that's what I played in my car while everybody else had all this boom, boom music. I, <laughs> mm -hmm. I had this screaming voice, and they were like, what is that thing that you're listening to? <clears throat> and the name Junior Jackson was just, I mean, it, it was a key element of the message. Yeah. He was a yeah. fundamental figure. Yeah. And we were at the Blue Boar Cafeteria, William Branham's favorite restaurant. Yes. Uh -huh. And <clears throat> by, by association, my grandfather's favorite restaurant. And have you ever seen the show Seinfeld? Charles? I have, John. Yeah. There's this repeating, recurring segment in Seinfeld. When Newman walks in, Seinfeld looks at him and goes, Hello, Newman. And Newman looks at Jerry and goes, Hello, Jerry. And they, they get this scowl on their faces. <laughs> and it's all for laughs. You know, they like each other. But Raymond Jackson walked in. And he saw my grandfather at the table, and I looked up, and I wanted to, like, stand up, hug his neck. I'd never seen this man. And he goes, hello, Willard. And my grandpa looks at him and goes, hello, Raymond. And then they scowled at each other, and then Raymond <laughs> Jr. Jackson walked onto his table, and I didn't get to hug him. I was like, well, do I hate this guy or do I love him? Which one is it? <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny, isn't it? Oh, I, I love the Blue Boar Cafe. We used to go there a, a lot, too. It was such a... a a place everybody loved to go for dinner after uh, after Sunday service. I, I think Brother Branham was on tape saying that everyone in the congregation loves the Blue Boar. Yeah, eighty percent yeah. of my congregation will go there for lunch, and so it was a it was a super popular place to eat uh, right. in the area. And you know, John, when we was looking at our church, I actually went into that building. Uh, they closed down in two thousand three. Was looking mm -hmm. at that building uh, for converting into the church. Oh, that would have been uh, so funny. Yeah, I know. It would have been, wouldn't it? We, we ended up uh, taking a place across the street. But yeah, it, it's still there. And so I got to looking into the history of it as I was as I was considering it, John. And, uh, you know, one thing that was super interesting. So they opened in the 1930s. They was a, a surprise, surprise, a white-only restaurant. What? Yes. Uh, <laughs> Blue Boar was a white-only restaurant. Uh, blacks really? were, not, were not permitted. Yeah, and... And, 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 and guess the year that uh, they opened to Blacks, uh, the same year William Brennan moved to Arizona. <laughs> you have got to be No, right? So, I mean, just the, uh, wow. the, the irony of it all. Yeah, the irony of it all. Hmm. But, uh, yeah, it, it, I can remember going through the cattle maze to get up there to the cafeteria line. And, and we'd always see uh, the, the Branhamites. We called uh, your sect the Branhamites, John. Yeah. And, uh, we we would uh, we would uh, get in there and we would never speak to any of them. We would like wow. look at them out of the corner of our eyes from our table. And you know when we get back to faith assembly in the evenings, a, a lot of times Brother Jackson would mention some of the goings on there and some of his sermons. Uh, uh, talk about the tabernacle crowd. Yeah, That's interesting incredible. stuff. <clears throat> that is. And to the new listeners who aren't aware of this research, um, who's you know, interest in the new apostolic reformation and all of these things that William Branham basically was the grandfather to. <clears throat> this this was unknown to me until about 2014 or 15, 
But William Branham's church, the Branham Tabernacle, was actually created by what later became the imperial wizard of the Ku Klux Klan. He was the Roy E. Davis. He was the official spokesperson for the 1915 Ku Klux Klan. He, um, he and William Joseph Simmons, who founded the 1915 Ku Klux Klan, started other white supremacy groups. And we're going to go deeper into that history in this show, but... William Branham, as early as 1928, was holding revivals with the Ku Klux Klan Imperial Chaplain, the Imperial Clud. Um, Charles, you'll have to give me the name. My, yeah, my Caleb memory Ridley. For, Caleb Ridley. There you go. Um, so there is heavy, heavy white supremacy roots in the Branham Tabernacle. Roy Davis's church was started as what was called the, the Pentecostal... Um, Baptist Church of God, and it was a sect, not a church. It was the headquarters church in Jeffersonville. He um, later moved that sect to another state, but William Branham basically, when Davis got extradited to, I believe it was Arkansas, on some grand theft and connection to murder charges, the church transitioned to William Branham, and William Branham um, became the leader of the church, it initially was called the Billy Branham Pentecostal Tabernacle, and then later that was renamed in 1945 to Branham Tabernacle. But during this tra- before this transition, he was a Pentecostal minister. After the transition, he used the word Baptist from that sect to claim that he was a Baptist minister, but in all actuality, he was a Pentecostal. So the white supremacy roots and the connection to <laughs> this is very surprising to me. The connection to just the restaurant that we ate in. It's its unbelievable, the history. Yeah, you're right, John. There, there's so much history, and you, you said such a mouthful there. I know in future episodes we're going to deep dive into each of those topics a little bit at a time and uh, and, and unfold some of that. But it's, uh, it, it's amazing uh, when you step back and you just look at the true history of this group, who created it, where it came from the things it did, the things like your grandfather said that we knew for years, John, what does it hurt you to believe anyway, right? Uh, the things where I came from, they knew it for years, Charles. What does it hurt you to believe it anyway? Um, we're we're going to dive into that, John. Yep. And the challenge is great. You know, the cult has tried very hard to stop everything that I do. They, um, <clears throat> I, I've been... If you've followed my site, you know that I've had YouTube sites taken down, other video hosts taken down. I've had severe technology attacks on my, not only the work that I do with the message, but the, you know, my business in general. Um, The funniest thing that I found was when I first started this, people were brute forcing password attacks into my servers with passwords like Malachi 4. As if I'm going to use that password after leaving the cult, you know, what, what in the world were they thinking? And it, not only that, who else but this cult is going to use that as a brute force password attack? Um, there's so, many, so much history there, but Charles, one of the things that we're going to face is that, you know, the cult would like for this podcast not to happen. So we're going to be putting this into different... Um, when the podcast goes out, it's going to go in different venues. So if one goes out, 
uh, one gets taken offline on the website on the video page you'll see feed one feed two feed three feed four and when one goes offline it will just transfer over to another one okay yeah that, that sounds great and i i think that'll be good for the viewers that way they can uh they can access it anywhere have multiple channels awesome and charles when we were talking you had a story about <clears throat> when when you were looking at my website somebody contacted you i think that <laughs> i think that's an interesting story oh yeah so so uh so although you know our sex uh didn't align at all uh, very interestingly john when you when you started publishing some of your material um <clears throat> uh, people from voice of god started reaching out to me over at, at our uh, sect of the message uh, and, uh, yeah, there, there was, there were some interesting, uh, exchanges of information there. And, uh, yeah. And, and so I, I do know John and I, I, I absolutely believe that, uh, efforts are being made to, uh, to, to shut you down and, and different things. I too work in technology, John, as you know, uh, yeah. I'm, uh, I, I, I have this, have a similar background and, uh, and, and I, I, I remember back in those days looking, I could see different things that, that were going on towards your website for, uh, you know, trying to uh, poison your SEO and different things of that nature. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I, uh, uh, that, that was interesting stuff. And I remember when your, uh, when your, uh, when your YouTube channel got taken down, I was still in. I said, well, praise the Lord. John's <laughs> came around to the truth. Uh, you know, that, that's how I, that's how I looked at that. Uh, but, uh, I, I realize now. Uh, no, uh, they they uh, they hurt. They uh, use tactics to get rid of it. Yeah. yeah. So we've got so much to cover <clears throat> in this podcast. There's so many d exciting different areas of research that we could cover. So why don't let's let's take a few minutes and just talk about what we could cover for the upcoming episodes. Um, what are some of the things that you think listeners would enjoy hearing? Sure. So there, there's lots of topics that we could cover, and I know <clears throat> I especially want to share a, a lot of the facts that we know about William Branham and, and explain uh, some of the ways that we know those things. Because uh, we know there's certainly some things that are speculation out there, but then there's a whole lot of things that is really uh, hard facts that, that we can yeah. point to. And, you know, if something is a speculation or a question, we're not going to be afraid to ask that question. Uh, because, uh, you know, we want to make sure also, though, that everyone does see the underlying evidence that's causing us to ask the questions that we have. So that, right. That's one thing. But, you know, one thing in the in the message is that the uh, the message tells you you're going to go straight to hell if you ask a question, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, questions are not unbelief, and we're not afraid to ask questions. And, you know, the first step to, to understanding something is to ask a question and uh, you know, Jesus said, if you knock, if you seek, if you ask, that's that's how you get an answer, right? And so that's what right. we're doing when we ask questions. We're knocking, we're seeking, we're, we're asking, uh, and we're not afraid to ask a question. You know, uh, mm -hmm. if, if, if we ask a question, there should be a good answer to it, right? And we're not wrong to, to seek for that. So, you know, I, yeah. I especially, I, I love a lot of the people in the message, John, and, and even some of the people that, uh, you know, we'll talk about as our family, people we love, yeah. people we care about. And so, um, my hope for the for a lot of what we talk about is we'll we'll share some things that will be a, a help to people. And there's been a huge exodus from the message over the past couple of years, yeah. uh, and bringing some awareness to some of these topics, um, I think will help uh, both people that are still in and people uh, who who have left and just want to get uh, some more information. And uh, right. so. <sighs> 
I know one of the topics, John, that we, we definitely want to talk about is William Branham's true life story. Right? Absolutely. Yes. Uh, what, you know, what we were told our whole lives um, is, is, is truth mixed with uh, myth. <laughs> right. And so, uh, you know, it, 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 it'll be interesting to go through and we'll, we'll figure out which parts are myth, which parts we suspect are myth, uh, and then which parts are actually uh, documented, you know, provable. Things yeah. that we know did indeed actually happen. Um, so that that's one thing I definitely want to look at, John. Um, right. There's all kinds of things related in there. I'll, I'll let you say something. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's all right. The, <clears throat> I was, <laughs> I was just thinking. <laughs> I, I was just thinking as you were talking. There are there are also things that specifically for our listeners who were in the message, who were basically indoctrinated with things that weren't true. There are key history, key historical facts that the rest of the world, for the most part, knows. Not everybody knows it, but a lot of people do. But we were taught it so vastly wrong that it's a little bit complex in explaining it. So it may, it may take a few episodes for a trail of thought. An example of this that I was thinking recently with regards to this podcast one of the things that we were taught in the message was that William Branham brought these truths that the world did not know. He was the messenger for the age, so he brought these things that the world just didn't know, and only William Branham knew it, and now they exist because William Branham brought them. Right. One of them was oneness Pentecostalism. And as we dive into the history specifically of Indiana church history, uh, white supremacy history. There's a fascinating history in Indiana. One of the key facts that we'll bring to the surface over a series of time, I mentioned um, Roy Davis, William Simmons, and the Pentecostal Baptist Church cult that William Branham was a member of. Well, in Indiana, there was a man named Garfield Thomas Haywood, and he literally is the reason why Oneness Pentecostalism exists. He predates William Branham. He had a very popular tract called Victim of the Flaming Sword. He was a black man, and he was growing up, or he was raising to his spiritual authority in Pentecostalism as a black preacher in the heaviest concentration of white supremacists in the nation at the time. And his tract, Victim of the Flaming Sword, was very symbolic because the black communities could very much feel like they were, you know, driven from the Garden of Eden with the, the flaming sword from the book of Genesis. Roy Davis and William Simmons, when the Klan dissolved, they created a response to this called the Knights of the Flaming Sword. They wanted to be the ones doing the driving. Mm-hmm. And... Davis sets up camp in Indiana. Right. He starts a Pentecostal sect. Yes. He's a Baptist minister. He is truly a Baptist minister, but he creates a Pentecostal sect. And they want to basically be in opposition to this growing thing that Haywood created. And when William Branham goes on his famous Mishawaka trip, he's going to a time when all the Pentecostal churches are wanting to merge and they created a sect that they wanted to merge with this group called the Pentecostal Baptist Church of God sect. And, you know, you can look at the history and say it failed. You know, nobody knows this thing existed. 
But look at the number of people in the world that now think that William Branham is the one who brought oneness Pentecostalism. It actually worked. It was very effective, this long con that they created. Yeah, there, there, there's so many things that William Branham claimed to be the originator of, uh, but uh, upon research we find it's not so, right, John? Uh, just right. like you mentioned there. And, and, and that, that's one of the great things about some of these books I have here in the library yeah. Uh, right. We, 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 we know exactly where, where the stuff came from, you know, uh, he, things we, I, I know we're going to deep dive into that in some of these episodes, but we know exactly where, uh, uh the supernatural revelations came from. And so, uh, so far I've yet to find one that actually had a supernatural source. And in fact, we found almost every single one of them, you know, in, in, yeah. in, in these books, uh, there's, there's so that'll be that'll be an interesting episode uh and that's a, like you mentioned John that that is a huge thing when you're inside the message we believed you know that angels came to William Branham and told him these yes. things we believe that that he had these mystical visions and God told all these things to him mm-hmm. and you know we don't we don't necessarily even have to judge whether they're right or wrong right whether they're true or false yeah. but we we can judge he did not learn these things the way that he told us that he did, and that is such a that's such a sucker sucker punch. And I know for me, John, uh, especially that and, and the truth about the things that happened in 1963 was was just probably the most impactful things at all for me personally, of all for me personally when I when I started to find the truth. And I, I definitely want to do an episode on the truth about 1963, what really happened that year. Uh, where what made that cloud? Uh, where William Brownham really was at the time? Yeah. Uh, look into those things. So that that'll be very interesting for the re- listeners as well. Yeah, there's there's just so much, and <clears throat> I'm looking fascinated at your library. I think when people understand the true value of what you have behind you, um, what this represents to the cult. I I think people are going to be very surprised, and you're going to get a lot of questions. Where do I get these books? (laughs) Right. Yeah. You know, John, I spent years collecting these. So, so, and only Brother Branham has a library out in Arizona, and um, some of these stories are 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 amazing, and maybe I'll I'll share them in more depth, more episodes. But at at one point, there's a book right here on my shelf. My fingers right where it's at. Uh, it's a blue one, if you see it right there. A, a friend of mine at the church, his father passed away, and he gave me a copy of that book. His father had been a pastor. And I'm looking at this book, and I'm like, I start reading it. It's got, hey, this has got some great pictures. I'm going to use these pictures. But then I start reading it. And I'm like, oh, oh my goodness. Oh, man. Oh, my goodness. Look, I can't believe the things that are wrote in this book. This uh, William Branham said all he got all these things from from angels. Yeah. And and I'm reading the book. I just I can't believe it. And suddenly my mind just starts firing on all cylinders. And and the book title. I'm like, okay, I remember Brother Branham talked about this guy. He talked about this book. Wait a minute. Raymond Jackson said that Brother Branham gave him copies of this book. Yeah. I went back, pulled the tape. I went into the church library, and here's the copies of the book that William Branham gave to Raymond Jackson, all marked up in the library of the church. Right. And so mm-hmm. uh, I I photocopied. I photocopied, you know, these things. We have the evidence. William yeah. Branham had these books. He propagated the books. They hid from us the truth about where these things came from for decades. It's such a big thing. 
I've I've had people contact me on the website, <clears throat> and and very valid. They they make a very valid argument. William Branham, if he br- if he was bringing the truth, he would have studied some of these things. He would have referenced some of this material, and they'll show me. Well, here's where he said what this guy said, but here's what he deviated from what they said. That's a very valid argument. <clears throat> yeah. If it's self-contained and singular, but if I am pretending in front of massive crowds that I'm going from this location where I met these seven angels in this cloud, even though I'm not even there at the time, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not even hunting at the time that this thing is there, but I tell you I'm hunting, and then I go back to Jeffersonville, and I come out to the pulpit, and I say, now, I didn't know a single thing about this before this morning, but that angel met me in the room. He says this on tape. Oh, yeah. If I were to make this argument and tell you that an angel met me and then you found my book, you might question it. When you find the second book, well, he's just studying these other men. When, look at, take a look at your library. Whenever you realize that, no, this guy did not bring a single new yeah. thing. He, he had I, all the books. He mixed and he matched to, to yeah. bring what he preached. And, you know, John, it, it, it's just like you said. What you described, they say that's actually moving the goalpost, right? As, you know, William yeah. Branham's actual statement is, and, and this is a pretty well a direct quote when he preached, when he preached those messages. He says, uh, what the angel brought to me in the room was contrary to everything I ever believed or read from other people, right? Like he right. even explicitly said it was different from what he had read. Um, mm. and what do you just, do with that? And then right? just quotes from the book. <laughs> yeah, and then, yeah, verbatim reads out of the book. Yeah. And, and and sure, you know, the, the, the mind tries to reason how to make sense out of that. I sure did. Um, yeah. but, but at a certain point, you, you just have to admit the truth to yourself you know uh, and they're halfway there people who are saying that john are halfway there they're admitting what william branham said happened did not happen right and now they've invented this intermediate position uh to try and justify where they're at uh but they they just need to get to that step where they realize in themselves hey i am admitting william branham misled me um and now i need to, to to lead this out to its logical conclusion uh right and and i want to say in the reset of this podcast, I'm also resetting the tone a bit. Whenever a person leaves something that they realize is so wrong and your brain is trying to reconcile what just happened to me, I believe this whole thing all my life and it's fiction, you go through all the stages of grief. You become angry. You start, there was a stage, and you can read it on my blogs, when Every single aspect of this was funny to me, and I couldn't help it. It was funny, and the tone is there. It's like I'm, people mistook that for thinking I'm mocking it, and I'm, I wasn't mocking it. I was trying. My brain was trying to reconcile what just happened to me. So in this, we're resetting it, and I don't care if you're escaped from the message. I don't care if you're a researcher looking into the message. I don't care if you're in the message. We're going to treat it all with the very same respect, but we're going to show you this is one example of why we made the choice we did. You don't have to accept that example, but we're going to show you another example and another and another and another. <clears throat> and when you put them all together, this, this podcast is going to paint a picture for you of the man that we used to think was 
being truthful. There was a period of time when we thought maybe he just went astray into the argument that I'm going to be presenting over the course of several episodes. This wasn't a man going astray. He had a plan to begin with. He knew what he was doing. And the thing, the reason for these stage personas was part of this bigger strategy. And that's the picture that I want to be painting. Yeah, there, there's so much there, John, that we can look at, and I, I'm looking forward to get into it. You know, there, there's definitely uh, a trend you see over time in William Branham's sermons leading up to an ultimate goal, right? And, right. and as you progress into the 60s, you see that coming into fruition. Because, you know, by the time you get into the 60s, William Branham is uh, is 90% different than, than what he was yep. at the beginning, right? Yeah. But that 10%, John carried all the way through didn't it so there was elements that was there from the beginning that he was building on from the beginning that by the end become the main thing right but all along it, it's growing that growing that piece into right. the final state that we see uh which which he did in his last years really is amazing stuff there's a book by i think it's edward bernays called propaganda i don't know if you've read this but i, I was describing what I was coming out of on an airplane, believe it or not. I was sitting next to this, um, I don't know who he was. I think he was some famous psychologist. He was. He had just given a big speech at a convention. And he started describing a few different things I needed to read, and one of them was propaganda. And so I read this book, and it is in no way religious or even remotely related to the message of you know, the cult. So a person who's reading it, who is in the message is not going to understand this. I think people who have left will understand this. But the strategies that are outlined in this book of how to create mass persuasion, how to achieve mass persuasion, every single aspect from this book, William Branham did. And you, you tell me that this was an uneducated man, that you know he claims he had a seventh grade education, which I now strongly disagree with, but... <clears throat> This stage persona that he created was that of an uneducated man who wasn't smart enough to do anything like this. Mm -hmm. We've identified early writings of William Branham that are completely different from the stage persona. This right. man had an education. You're, you're right, John. And, you know, Doug Weaver, who wrote a biography of William Branham in 1987, he, he discovered the same, uh, the same thing to an extent, and he identified... Uh, when William Branham was speaking before ministerial associations and things of that nature, William Branham spoke in polished, perfect English, yes. perfect grammar, right? And and then, you know, compare that over to these others where he's preaching in this folksy, uh, mm -hmm. slang country, right? And it's very clear that William Branham tailored his mannerisms, his speech patterns, um, to fit a persona that he was presenting to the audience, right? Yes. Uh, and it was, uh, you know, which was genuine. I mean, maybe was was the was the educated persona <laughs> the genuine one? Was the yeah. was the country persona the genuine? You know, probably neither. Honestly, uh, yeah, would be my guess. But you know, he he definitely changed personas to where he was and who he was. And you know, that's a lot of that too is where. Uh, you you mentioned in the past how you know he'd preach things different ways and in one church he's trinitarian and in another church he's oneness um 
you know, in the message, in our part, we call that dual statements. I don't know what if you if you all even acknowledge the existence of that in your sect or not. But we we called it dual statements, and we and we uh, we had our different ways to reconcile all these things with dozens and dozens and dozens of things he preached more than one way. And yeah. you know, part of it, I I started to to realize, John. Part of it, it was it was a stage persona. It was what group he was preaching to and the persona he was keeping up for that group, right? Right. And then a, a lot of it also comes back to these books. It depended which book he was studying and, you know, which one corresponded maybe to which group. Because uh, all of the dual statements are in those books too, right? The two, ver- whichever version he was presenting, even yeah. they weren't unique, you know. <laughs> yeah. Even his mistakes, what we thought were his mistakes were not unique, John. It was, uh, he was, it was just which uh, book he had studied, which group he was preaching to on that particular day. Uh, that he needed to to keep up this line of thought or or this persona to it, it's amazing yeah. it's uh it's amazing and also wanted to speak just a little bit to you know you mentioned the the grief of leaving the message and you know here we are john we we've been out for a while i, I myself i've i would say at this point um i i have been out of the message for a year about now uh, it's about a year and a half since i left my my position in the church but you know the grief Oh my goodness, is unbelievable. Like I, I know exactly what you mean. It, it, it's, it's the worst grief you ever I've ever experienced in my life. I mean, it just, yeah. it, it's worse than the the loss of loved ones. It's, it, it's so in- incredibly difficult to describe. Just the absolute horrific sorrow and deep seated grief you feel. Mm discovering these things like these are it's not happy for me to find out all this is true it wasn't happy for me to find out all this stuff about william branham i mean it was uh heartbreaking absolutely heartbreaking and i it i can't put into words really the the sorrow and grief you know that i've experienced um as a result of finding some of this stuff out so again i i totally relate to the people coming out and what they're going through and that's another thing i hope that you know people experiencing that can come in this area into community with us and and that's something we can help them with uh, a yeah. place where we do understand that really unique grief and sorrow you experience uh when you learn the truth about these things it's tough it is. <clears throat> you know people in the support groups that i work with all of them will describe it as the single most difficult thing that they experience in their life. Yes. People, whenever you begin to understand what they did to our minds, it's very, not only is it unethical, it should be illegal. I think in some countries it now is, but <clears throat> in the United States, I don't think it is illegal yet. But basically they create, with this fictional persona, they create this cult identity and in your psychological makeup, you have a cult identity and you have the authentic person that wants to be free and not trapped into this cult. <clears throat> well, whenever this cult identity dies, whenever you finally realize all of this stuff was fiction, this is an actual, in your mind, this is something that is so deeply embedded, deeply rooted. It's as, it's as though a family member just died. You go through those stages of grief. And people fall into depression. Some people have to take medication. We have support networks if people are interested. Charles is setting one up with his church. Um, we also have uh, the Free and, Pe- Free and Clear podcast. We talk about some of the support issues, and Naomi Wright is working with us. So we have a team of people. If you need help, don't feel like you're alone. 
you can contact us on william-branham.org or your website, Charles? ChristianGospelChurch.org. ChristianGospelChurch.org. I'll remember that sooner or later. It's uh, as of as of the recording of this, it actually hasn't launched. We're no. we're waiting to release at the same time. <clears throat> so to wrap this up, I'm going to let people in on two secrets. Uh, the first is I just got over COVID, and I'm very surprised my voice has lasted through this whole episode, but it has made it through. And the second secret, which is far more fascinating, is that. People who followed the website <clears throat> are aware that as of about a year ago, <laughs> people started seeing some fascinating new research, research about Jim Jones and about People's Temple and about um, Colonia Dignidad, some very, very incredible new and exciting things, new and exciting information. What people don't realize is that behind the scenes, I had just met Charles. And Charles brings to the table, like I said at the beginning of the show, so many facts that I did not have, so many pieces of the puzzle that paint this bigger picture. And I, I think the biggest upcoming topic that we're going to have is just simply the Jones history. People, not even in the message, are fascinated with the Jones history. Yeah, so so John, we both know that Jim Jones was deeply connected to the message in the middle and the late 50s. Yeah. And message preachers have covered that up for years. And, you know, we're not out to, you know, say William Branham is to blame for this or that or the other. But definitely we want to let people see that the message leaders have been misleading them about Jim Jones' role in the message and connections yeah. to the message. Um, you know, it, He was it's, a leader. Yes, and it, it's a it's a demonstration of of some dishonesty there, mm. and uh, th there's some uh, interesting stuff, John. We can share on that topic because you know we know people who knew Jim Jones. Yeah, uh, we we knew. Uh, I have been in churches Jim Jones frequented myself, uh, and so um, yeah, we're gonna have some interesting things to cover when we when we go through uh, go through that topic. Very exciting stuff. So <clears throat> I hope you've enjoyed this episode, which is basically just an overview of the big things to come. Charles and I are very excited to bring this to you, and we have so much to talk about. I I was sitting there before we started recording, Charles. I was trying to think, well, how long can we keep this up? How long will this run? And I started going in my head through all the different topics. I actually have the opposite thought in my head. Can we get all of this out before we get too old to do it? <laughs> I know, right? I, I I sat down one day and just started listening. I I listed fifty episodes, you know, just in just in a matter of yeah. a, a of a few minutes of brainstorming. There's so many things, John, that that, that we have to talk about, yeah. uh, and I don't know how much more time we have in in this episode, uh, but it's it's been good. Yeah, this this is exciting stuff. So hope you enjoy it. If you want to learn more, you can visit my website at william-branham.org, Charles's website at christiangospelchurch.org. christiangospelchurch.org. I'm going to write it in my notes so I don't keep forgetting okay. this. And you'll see it in the description of the video, and you'll see it on the cover page of the video. But we're excited to do this. Join us. We're going to knock your socks off. Yeah.